Well, I invite you to turn with me in the Word of God to Psalm 19. We'll be focusing on the 19th Psalm this evening, or at least beginning there, as we are continuing our series through the Belgic Confession of Faith, that confession that we believe as Reformed Christians gives us an accurate summary of what God's Word teaches. We are finally, believe it or not, coming to Article 2 this evening. We started in the beginning in the beginning of September in Article 1, and you might have been somewhat surprised, having read that perhaps on your own, that that's one of the shortest articles, if not the shortest article in the Confession. And yet when you really get into it, you realize this is the article on the only true God. We're going to be here a while, and we have been. But now we come to Article 2 as well, as we're considering these things of how God has revealed himself to us. I'll begin reading in Psalm 19 at verse 1, all the way down to the end, all 14 verses of Psalm 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. Psalm 19 is to the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It sends the reading of God's holy word this evening. May he bless it to us. Let's go to him in prayer tonight. Father in heaven, we thank you for Psalm 19 and for all your word which proclaims to us your greatness and your goodness, not only in who you are, but in what you have done for us and towards us. We ask, Lord, that your spirit would be with us tonight to illumine us, to understand what he himself inspired thousands of years ago by the hand of your servant David. We pray, Lord, that we would see from here and from other places in scripture what it is that you have done in revealing yourself to us. May we see more of you and your glory and the blessings that we receive from you tonight. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, now I invite you to take your forms, the thin forms and prayers book and turn to Belgian Confession of Faith, Article 2. You can find that starting on page 153. 153 in the back of that uh, thin forms and prayers book. I'll read this for us. Article 2 is the means by which we know God. We know him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. All these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. 
Second, he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word, as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. And so this is what we as Reformed Christians confess here in Article 2 about how this God we've read about in Article 1 truly reveals himself to us. And as one pastor has said, humans are by nature incurably religious. I was just listening to some interviews this past week about those who were involved in the new atheist movement, as it was called, of those four horsemen, as it was called, of atheism. And in the mid-2000s to mid-2010s, it was a big movement, and it was kind of all around the place. And some of these people are actually beginning to wonder, maybe we were too hasty in in deciding that there was no God. Maybe we were too hasty in deciding that there was nothing spiritual that was all material and all physical and all earthy. We can see that humans are truly incurably religious, that we have to have this understanding that we are worshiping something or someone, that there is something out there. And we can ask, where does that come from? Why are we incurably religious, as we could say? Well, the answer is because there is a God, and he has revealed himself clearly to each and every single one of us. He has revealed himself clearly to each and every single one of us. We're going to think about two different ways that God has revealed himself this evening. First is the uh, natural way, we could say, or general or natural revelation, as theologians sometimes call it, the things we see in the creation and preservation and government of the universe, of the creation that God has made. We also see that God has revealed himself more clearly and more openly to us, especially as sinners, in his special revelation, in not only his son, but as we find it here in the word of God itself. And as we considered all these things from Article 1, as we began with God as it's right to do and considered his nature and his attributes, we saw who he is, we can ask, how can we possibly know this one? How can we know this one? Only if he reveals himself, only if he himself speaks to us. And so we'll have three headings this evening, each in turn. First, we're just going to focus briefly on that notion that God speaks. God speaks. What exactly does this mean? Well, we know that the God of Article 1 is not hidden. In other words, we are not deists. Deists are those who perhaps are not as popular today as they were maybe a hundred or a few hundred years ago, but those who believe that, yes, there was a creator behind all these things because you see order in the cosmos, you see beauty and purpose, it seems, and all these different things. So certainly a god must have created this, but then that god sort of stepped back. Sometimes the analogy is used that God created all things like a clockmaker creates a clock, And he has it all finely tuned and beautiful and ordered towards its end of keeping time. And he winds up the clock and he sees that it's running. And then what does the clockmaker do? Well, boys and girls, you might not have seen this with your own eyes, but you can imagine the clockmaker just simply steps back. He lets the clock run on its own. And if it's a well-made clock, then it should run on its own. And we have to recognize that that is not what we are confessing about this God. He is not a God who created everything and then stepped back and gave himself no revelation to us in his world, that he is still speaking to us. We know that our limited and finite and, of course, now sinful after the fall minds cannot reason up to him. If we were left to our own devices, there was no way that we could reach God. We cannot climb a ladder up to him physically, certainly, and no more can we climb a ladder up to him intellectually and understand him and truly grasp him and find him on our own. And so God has to speak. This is the God, remember, who is infinite and invisible and incomprehensible, as we've learned in the weeks and months in the past. This is the one who is far beyond our own understanding and far beyond our ability to find on our own. But God himself, the one who is invisible and incomprehensible, 
has given us two books, we could say. That's what we confess in Belgian Confession, Article 2. God has given, him, given us two books in which he reveals himself, that God has given us revelation. And perhaps before we get into more details of what these two books are, it's helpful for us to just sort of take a step back and consider these things and recognize how good it is of God to even reveal himself to us in the first place. As you consider all of the list of attributes that we went through towards the end of Article 1, we saw things like God is almighty in power, that God is eternal, he has no beginning and no end and does not change and has no sequence of time. And all these wonderful things that display God's greatness. His power, his beauty, his glory, his holiness, all these things. But we also ended, if you remember, with God's goodness. We ended with God's goodness and the fact that he is the overflowing source of all good. That all good we receive in this world comes to us from the greatest good from God himself. And I think there's a very good reason why the Belgian Confession ends Article 1 in that way. Because we see in Article 2 another display, another explanation of his goodness to us. Have you ever considered this? The fact that even in creation, even as things are very good as God himself says, as Adam and Eve are standing there or sitting there or whatever they were doing there, as they're finally created, and creation is brought to its pinnacle and completion, God did not owe them anything. I know sometimes that's difficult for us to even fathom. That God did not even owe them the fact of his own revelation. He did not owe them a relationship with him. He did not owe them all these wonderful things that he gave to them. He created freely and he is preserving freely. And the fact that he has revealed himself at all to his creation, to his creatures like us who could not find him on our own, is a wonderful display of his goodness. He has not left us in the dark. Do you ever have that dream when you were younger, or maybe boys and girls, you have that dream now where you're in a store with your mom or your dad and suddenly you can't find them? Maybe this is only my dream, I don't know. You're in the store and you can't find them and you're maybe in the clothing aisle and, of course, the clothing section. And when you're younger, you're kind of stuck in the clothes because you're small and you're short and you can't see over them and it just seems like a maze and a mess. You can't find your parents and suddenly they come, they come over the uh, loudspeaker and make the announcement, the store is closing in five minutes. You become frantic and you're trying to find your parent. You're trying to find the one who can take care of you and you can't and suddenly the lights come down. I think in my dream the dogs came out too. Kind of a weird addition there. But there's this idea that now we're in the dark, now we're alone, now we have no help and now we're really in for it. God could have left us in the dark. He could have left us as his creation without any knowledge of him without any revelation of him, yet he did not. And so God is calling us, even before we get into how he has revealed himself, he is calling us to praise him. To praise him for his goodness, to praise him for his mercy to us, for not leaving us in the dark, to give thanks to him for stooping down and speaking to us in a way that we can understand that's fit for our creaturely minds. And so God speaks and this is the first example of goodness and we find really in Belgic, the Belgic Confession of Faith here in Article 2. But now we consider the two books themselves. So our second point, our second heading this evening is the book of nature. Now that, I recognize, sounds like maybe some sort of documentary that the National Geographic would do on animals in Africa or something of that nature. The book of nature. 
What exactly is the Belgic Confession saying here? Well, it's saying essentially the same thing, the exact same thing that Psalm 19 is saying. Look with me at verse 2. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Is that idea of God is revealing himself to us in speech through his creation. We know, of course, that there are many psalms that are famous, deservedly so. Psalm 19 is one of the most famous. It begins, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And perhaps there's a danger for us as weak sinful humans, even as weak sinful Christians who have been regenerated, to be so caught up with the familiarity we have with those words that we kind of miss the shock of them. The heavens above declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim his handiwork. It may be simple and easy for us as modern day people who think we have a scientific knowledge of all sorts of things that we really don't know to maybe be driving around or walking around and see the beautiful sunset and think, well, that's nice and not really consider anything more. I know I do that all the time. I think, well, that's water droplets and light refracting and all these things, and that's true. But how often do I and probably all of us fail to recognize who is being declared in the beauty, in the glory, even in the skies above us? And so as verse 2 tells us, day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge that God is revealing himself in nature, in his creation, in his creation of all things day and night. This is a declaration that God has revealed himself at all times. That day and night are ways of describing all time that could possibly be. God is revealing himself there. But in verse 3 we read, There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. That's all languages this goes out. That's not just English speakers or Spanish speakers or whatever it may be who are learning these things and seeing these things and being having God revealed to them in this way, but all people all around the world are seeing these things, are having this knowledge of God given to them. And in verse 4, we see that even is made more explicit. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat." What God is saying here is that his revelation in nature through his creation expands and extends as far as his creation does. That anywhere creation is, God is revealing himself. We can say day to day and night to night. We can say in all languages. We can see in all the places where the sun rises and sets as we consider it. In all these areas, God is revealing himself in his creation. But as the Belgian Confession reminds us, it's not just in creation itself that he reveals himself to us, but in his preservation of that creation. In the fact that he is preserving all things. We even considered that somewhat in Reverend Spots' sermon this morning of what would happen if God were to withdraw his upholding hand from us? To withdraw his withholding hand from the universe, from creation itself. And the simple shortest answer is we would never know. Because we would cease to exist. That everything that relies on God for it coming into existence would fade out of existence just as quickly. That just as soon as he spoke things into existence from what was not to what was, the reverse would also be true. And we can understand this in the preservation of all things. We read, for example, in Hebrews 1 verse 3, he upholds the universe by the word of his power, speaking of Christ there. 
Or Colossians 1.17, in him all things hold together. And then the fact that God did not just create and then let that creation fall back onto itself and collapse into nothingness, we see that God is still revealing himself to us. Through creation and through preservation, also we read in government. Now, if you're like me, you read that word and you perhaps have a different image in your head. You have maybe the local or the states or the federal government, and you begin to think, how on earth is God revealing himself there? Boys and girls, perhaps you thought of that when we read that word. What exactly is it talking about government? Well, it doesn't mean exactly what we think of as government. We, doesn't, we don't mean exactly those who are in the different branches of governments or who come to us and take our tax money or who build our roads and our infrastructure or who defend us in the military, all those different sorts of things that we kind of have associated with government. That's not what God is getting at here. That's not what the Belgian Confession of Faith is getting at. It's talking about how creation seems to be ordered. That things behave as if they are ordered and governed. That there is generally order in the universe. There's much disorder, of course, we know in law. That comes from the fall. But we can begin to trust certain things. We can begin to know that if the rain comes at a certain time of year, the crops will do well. That if the wind comes from a certain direction, it's going to get either hotter or colder, depending on where it's coming from. But beyond even that, we see it even in history. That God is not just governing the natural world. He's not just governing the seasons and the weather and the animals and the plants and all these things that we see around us. He's governing even history as it marches on towards his pre-appointed end. We think of the Apostle Paul as he comes to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17 and he says, He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God is revealing himself to us in even this way. That nations cannot rise above where God would have them. That he is directing these things for the good of his people and for ultimately his glory. And so we see God revealed to us in the book of nature in creation, in preservation, and government. And this should lead us, for one thing, to have great humility. All creation we know is meant to testify to us of God. God is invisible. We heard that weeks back. We cannot see him. He is not available to our senses. But creation is. We have this idea, as we confess it as Reformed Christians, of all of creation is as a book, and all the creatures, great and small, are like letters. Boys and girls, it doesn't take much thinking to figure out what exactly it's saying there, that all of creation is kind of a canvas, and the letters are what make sense and what make meaning on that. If you have a book, and you open the book, and there are no letters there, and there are no pictures, and there's nothing, it's just blank pages... And that book is pretty well useless. You can't learn anything from that book. You can't get any stories or any information from that book. But the letters are what give meaning to the book. It's what the author uses to describe things to us. That's what God is doing with all of creation, with all creatures. And that is what he is doing from one end of heaven to the other. Psalm 19 tells us that. Other places in scripture tell, that, tell us that. But if this is the great creation that sometimes causes us to wonder and to have awe, I was thinking even as I'm driving down the road to church this evening and I can see a mountain in the distance. And I can tell you as a kid from Nebraska, that sometimes gives me awe. It may not you. But you begin to see the beauty and the size and the strength and the power of the creation that God had made and the glory of it, and you realize that's just a small fraction of the creator himself. 
that if God has made this to reveal himself to us, how much greater must God be? If we write letters or send texts and all these different things to reveal ourselves to other people and to tell them things, and we're so much greater than these letters or these texts that we send, how much greater must the infinite God of all glory be than his creation? Creation is meant to lead us to humility, to worship the God who is great enough to speak this creation out of nothing. And now we can ask, what is the result of this? Certainly we see that God reveals himself in creation. We can understand that, not just from Psalm 19, but from other places in Scripture as well. We could begin to add different things and see that, yes, God clearly has made himself known to all people. We can ask, what exactly is the result of that? Why well, invite you to keep your finger in Psalm 19, but turn with me to the book of Romans. Specifically, Romans chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. What are the results of reading this book of nature, if just left to ourselves? Well, we find that in Romans chapter 1, starting in 19, verse, uh, verse 19 through verse 21. And of course, in the logic of the book of Romans, Paul is writing to a congregation where he knows many of the people there, but he's never been to Rome itself. And so he wants to declare to them what his message is, what ultimately the gospel is. And to get there, he must first show how everyone is condemned. That everyone outside of Christ has no hope. And he says in Romans 1, 19 through 21, For what can be known about God is plain to them, plain to those who perhaps are, we would think of as pagans in the world far away from us. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so what can be known by the book of nature just left to itself? Well, we can know certainly that God exists, Something about his nature, something about his power, something about who he is, what he is. But we see very clearly here that what happens is sinful people reject him. It's not a matter of not knowing, but not receiving. That the word goes out to the end of the world. That everywhere where creation is, God is testifying of himself And everywhere people are, they are hearing that revelation and rejecting it. In a sense, we can say that there are truly no ultimate atheists. That even if someone has that label and applies it to themselves, that we all know on one level or another that there is a God. And we've all received this revelation from him. It's not a matter of intellectual knowledge, but of moral rejection of sinning against him. And so one purpose of the book of nature, as Romans 1 says, as our confession reminds us, is that it leaves men without excuse. This knowledge of God goes out to the end of the world. People reject it all over the place because of their sinfulness. And this leaves them without excuse, especially as we think about it on the last day. Sometimes the question is asked, well, what about those who have never heard the gospel? And the idea is, what about this, say, innocent tribesman in the deep dark of the Amazon rainforest who has never heard the Bible, who has never heard scripture given to him? Surely God would not condemn that person, that man or that woman. Well, the answer has to be from the witness of scripture that that person has heard from God. 
They have received the revelation of God in his nature, in his creation, and in his preservation, and in his government of all things, and have rejected it. That there are no innocent tribes. We think of even our own confession in uh, the Canons of Dort, third and fourth head of doctrine, and Article 4, it says these words, There is, to be sure, a certain light of nature remaining in man after the fall, by virtue of which he retains some notions about God, natural things, and the difference between what is moral and immoral and demonstrates a certain eagerness for virtue and for good outward behavior. But this is the important part as we get to it. But this light of nature is far from enabling man to come to a saving knowledge of God and conversion to him. So far, in fact, that man does not use it rightly even in matters of nature and society. Instead, in various ways, he completely distorts this light, whatever its precise character, and suppresses it in unrighteousness. In doing so, he renders himself without excuse before God. That's exactly what Paul is saying in Romans 1. That's exactly what we are confessing here in Belgian Confession of Faith, Article 2. That the revelation of God in the book of nature is good. It is intending what it was, it was doing what it was intended to do, but the problem is that we are not good. That we cannot see all of what God has done and certainly not all of who God is that he would have us to know. And even when we see these things, we suppress them in unrighteousness if we're left to ourselves. So what is the answer here? Well, God gives us another book. And so briefly and finally, we see our third heading this evening, the book of Scripture. We see, for example, in verse 7 of Psalm 19, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. So what is David doing? Well, he's describing the word of God and the effect that it has upon us. He's already said what the effect of the book of nature is to reveal God himself to us, but the book of scripture is what actually we find the power to change, the power that actually brings us redemption, that also tells us more about this God whom we serve, the God who made all things. And as the Belgian Confession reminds us, this book, in this book, God declares himself to us more openly. It's not as if he is hiding himself in nature, but rather that's the idea of declaring more about himself to us. And we can say, normally, historically, as Reformed Christians and as other Christians around the world would affirm, we would say there are four main attributes of Scripture. We've already talked about the attributes of God, the things that uh, we can see who he is and what he is like. There are those kinds of things about Scripture as well. The first we can say is that there's the attributes of clarity. That scripture is clear on the important things. That what we need to know for doctrine, life, and worship is clear. That God reveals himself clearly and fully to the degree that we need to know about these things. That we can see these things in his word itself. So for example, we can never come to the understanding of God as the Trinity. God being one in nature and three in persons just from looking at nature around us. The stars don't tell us that. The government of the universe doesn't tell us that. The preservation that God has and the providence that he brings to us do not tell us those things. Only as he's revealed himself in scripture do we begin to understand these things. We also do not see the gospel, the glorious message of salvation in Jesus Christ from the world around us. Sometimes it's almost said as if we can see the gospel in the stars. I don't know if you've heard those sorts of things. That is completely untrue. 
In fact, naturally, this is the most shocking thing to us, that the God who made all these things, who is righteous, and we have a sense of his righteousness, that's another part of the way that he reveals himself to us by writing his law on our hearts, and we have that conscience that accuses us. The idea that this God would come and take on flesh and live and die and rise again for us, it's complete nonsense to us, apart from the words of Holy Scripture, apart from God revealing himself in the book of Scripture more openly and more clearly. And so we see more details about who God is and what he has done. So we're called to not only see God in creation and to let the book of nature fill our ears and our eyes and to take in who made this as well, we're also called to look to his revelation in Scripture. To look to the more open, the more clear book of Scripture. To see who God is and what God has done. And he gives us as much as we need, we read. We think of the attribute of sufficiency. Sufficiency. We have what we need. The Bible does not tell us everything. And there are probably some things that you wish it would tell you that it doesn't. It doesn't give us each and every single example of things to do in our life down to the minutest detail, but it tells us what we need for our faith and for our life, and it has authority. That's another attribute. It is the highest authority. That all matters of things that come to us. It's the highest standard for our lives, and God himself decides what we need to know. And so sometimes it's hard to be content with God's revelation. I know it is for me. But God is calling us to be content with what he has revealed. I know for one illustration, I I think often of Luke 24 and Christ appearing secretly first to those disciples on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, and they're just downtrodden because they know what has happened in Jerusalem, and, and you know this one we thought was the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, has been killed by the Romans, he's been crucified, and some women have said that he rose again, but we don't know. And then there's that idea of Christ coming to them and saying, oh, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he begins to explain to them the things in all the scriptures concerning himself. And sometimes I would sit there, especially as I was first becoming Reformed, and think, Luke, why didn't you include this? Why didn't we have this sermon preached on the road? Over the course of years, and some people gently rebuking me, though, I began to realize that we did. It's all a scripture. That God has given us exactly what we need to know. He has given us the Old Testament that reveals himself and the New Testament that builds on that and shows us even greater things. He has given us all that we need to know. And that's for our glory and salvation as we close here in verses 12 through 14 of Psalm 19. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So what is the psalmist, what is David asking? Well, it is a result of coming into contact with God's word and God's word actually changing him that he would not only recognize God as his redeemer, that he would respond in a way that glorifies God as well. That the book of scripture tells us all the things necessary for us to know for God's glory and for our salvation. That's the final attribute, the attribute of necessity. That scripture is necessary for God's fuller glory. It's necessary for our salvation. That we would have no knowledge of these things apart from God coming to us. But that's part of the good news that he does come to us. That in his goodness, he has not just revealed himself as 
creator, he has also revealed himself as redeemer. He has come to us and given us all the knowledge that we need, that there's no gospel in the stars, but there is a gospel in God's book of scripture. He comes and brings good news to us. The news of the life and death and resurrection of Christ on our behalf of his ascension, of his rule even now, of his second coming to come and make all things new. That God has given us this for his own glory and for our salvation. Just think of where we'd be if we only had the book of nature. We'd still be in our sins. We'd still have no knowledge that God himself has come and made a way for us. God himself has come and earned salvation for us. We'd have no knowledge of God in his fullness and his glory. We'd have certainly no knowledge of the gospel. We'd have no knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. God is good and he has revealed himself to us in this way for his glory and for our salvation. So as Reformed Christians confessing the Belgian Confession of Faith, we confess that God condescended. That's a loaded word, isn't it? Oftentimes if someone says, I'm condescending to you, we think, oh, that's terrible. Why would you? But in this sense, it just means God stooping down low to us. Stooping down and revealing himself, talking to us as you would talk to a baby or talk to a toddler who cannot understand these things. You get down on your knees and you stoop down and you meet that person on their level and you begin to use words and language they can understand. That's what God has done for us. And what has he revealed? He's revealed who he is. He's revealed his law, his standard for us, the fact that we have not met this. And he's revealed his gospel that makes all the difference in the world. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in scripture. And ultimately, he is going to do these things to lead us to Christ, to lead us to a relationship with him that is restored and is going to be glorified one day. That God is good. He speaks. He has not left us. And so God is calling us to look through the book of nature, and not just see nature itself, but to look through nature and to see the one who wrote the book. To see the glory of the God who made all these things. Remember that nature also reveals, us, reveals God to us as creator and not redeemer, but we also see him revealed as redeemer in his scriptures. God is calling us to look to the gospel and the word. To look to his son that's revealed to us. To be content with what God has revealed to us. And to recognize that the fact that God has revealed himself to us at all, in nature or in scripture, is a wonderful, beautiful description of what it means for God to be good. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your revelation to us, whether it's in your creation itself or in the special revelation that your spirit inspired all these thousands of years ago. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can have even copies of your word, even in our own hands, even in our own homes, that we can read it, we can hear from you. We thank you, Lord. We pray that you would help us to be content with the revelation you have given to us, that we would look to it and ultimately see you behind all of it. We pray, Lord, that as your scriptures are meant to lead us to see you in your glory and to salvation in Christ, that they would do so, that we know that they are going to be effective. We ask, Lord, that we would see, even this evening and through the rest of our Christian lives, more of who you are and what you have done in the way that you have revealed yourself to us. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.